you're listening to Me and My Yoga with me, Yoga Harriet. This is a podcast where you get to hear some of the inspirational stories that have shaped the yoga teachers who you might know and love, or who might be totally new to you. In this week's episode, I'm speaking to Oxford-based vinyasa and forest yoga teacher, Sara Layla. With a Caribbean background, Sara's love of movement came in early childhood, but it wasn't until she moved from the Dominican Republic to Oxford that she went to her first yoga class. While Sara initially trained in vinyasa yoga, it is clear from the way in which she speaks so emphatically about forest yoga why this practice now inspires so much of her teaching. In this episode, we discuss how her yoga practice has been a source of inspiration to Sara with her journeying into yoga and journaling and incorporating her passion for literature in her teachings. We discuss how it is that we should be offering yoga more widely to broaden the yoga community and how yoga has played an important role for Sara as she recovered from COVID and injuries generally. We also chat about Sara's changing relationship with forest yoga abs and how yoga has helped her to find stability in periods of transition in her life. I comment so regularly in this episode that Sara raises interesting points and it is so true as she encourages you to think about your own practice in a different way. I hope that you enjoy this episode as much as I did when we recorded it. Welcome, Sara. my voice sounds really low today it doesn't at all it just sounds like your voice this is the funny thing I've said this to lots of my podcast interviewees that you don't realize what you sound like until you play things back like your yoga classes or an interview and then it's just such a weird quirk of life that you don't sound the same in your head as you do out loud yeah I think so yeah I mean I definitely when I've heard myself back I hear my voice being uh, uh, what's the word? Like the tone is higher than what I think it is, <laughs> um, which I don't particularly enjoy. But my mine is mine is way more posh out loud than it sounds in my head. <laughs> For me, I just sound like I've got a London accent, and then suddenly I sound like the bloody Queen or something. Oh hello! <laughs> <laughs> oh hello there! <laughs> Especially when I'm teaching your own classes, I'm trying to be all like grounded and then, and then this is this really sort of like, and now step your left foot forward. <laughs> I mean, the English accent is lovely. The Queen's accent is lovely. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so you're all good. I'm all good. I'm all good. Yeah. Um, so let's discuss. Okay. You're obviously a forest yoga teacher now, but I can gauge that you didn't start that way. You started maybe as a vinyasa teacher. Is that right? Yes, that's right. So I first trained as a vinyasa teacher back in 2016, mm-hmm. so about four years ago. And at the time, I really, really loved fluid sequences. Mm-hmm. Because coming from the Caribbean, from the Dominican Republic, music and dance have always been part of my life. And so I found that with vinyasas, I was able to connect to that part of myself because yoga suddenly started to feel like a dance in a way. And so I I trained as a vinyasa teacher first. I did my 200 hour 
in Oxford at the yoga venue with Alessandro Gossi, who I absolutely love as a teacher. Very considered, very meticulous, uh, very concise in his cueing. And I was always drawn to that. And then later on, I think it was in 2017 or 18, probably 2018, I had been hearing about forest yoga and I knew a teacher in Oxford who taught it, Gina. And I met her randomly at a course on Instagram for yoga teachers. Mm, wow. <laughs> and I spoke to her then, and then I decided to come along to one of her classes. And actually, truth be told, I absolutely hated the practice when I was doing it. Because I was already a vinyasa teacher. I very much, uh, I was very much sold by the way that the sequence goes and the way that you're marrying breath to movement. And so suddenly I found myself in these very active poses, having to hold them for a number of breaths. And I was like, what is this? This doesn't feel right. This sequence feels wrong. <laughs> uh, but then I left the class and my body felt better than it had in a really long time. And so right there and then I was like, okay, it might not feel great in the moment, but there is something in this because after the class, I just feel really great. So I went back to Gina's classes and she told me that Anna and Jose were coming to London to do a three-day intensive. And so I went along to that and that's when everything changed. I mean, not only practicing in the same room as Anna and Jose and being part of the yoga ceremony, mm. being part of this beautiful practice that they create that involves live music, um, really considered cueing, uh, really beautiful nourishing sequences. And, you know, the, 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 the intensives, as you know, because you practice for us yourself, they're, they're quite long, you know, they're about two and a half our practices and I, I did the three days and we did I think it was one practice in the morning one practice in the afternoon and I went and I did that over an entire weekend and I, I finished every day feeling really exhilarated and with lots of energy and nothing ached mm. nothing hurt nothing ached um, and then after the three three days I said to myself, I, I just need to learn more about this practice. And so a few months later, I enrolled in the foundation teacher training, which I completed in Bali in Ubud last summer in August. And since then, I mean, it's become my, my main personal practice. I still teach vinyasas and I still enjoy vinyasas. But I think that after that training, it just feels like there isn't any other way that that I won't be teaching some form of forest, even in my vinyasa. So I teach a little bit of forest-inspired flow as well. Mm. Um, so yeah, so that was my journey to, to forest yoga, basically. Yeah, that's, I, I love what you say about the, the fact that you don't feel injured. I've really noticed that as well, because I started off, you know, in that kind of vinyasa hatha practice, and I trained as a hatha teacher. And you know, I think because I'm someone who's not naturally flexible, you know, I've told you before that I've got mega tight hamstrings, mega tight hips. Um, 
you know, that kind of flowy, fluid thing, it looks so beautiful on Instagram, doesn't it? Whereas, let's be frank, Forrest looks a bit weird sometimes. Like, <laughs> you're, in, you're in a pose and your neck's kind of hanging over on one side. It, look, it doesn't look that kind of, you know, as aesthetically pleasing, to put it frankly. Um, but it's, it feels like it's so much more, you approach it with so much more safety and care. And because it's less about how it looks and you don't get hung up about that exterior, um, you know, visualization, you, you practice with this much more body awareness and sensitivity. Mm -hmm. and I, so I totally agree with you when you say that, you know, you, you, you can avoid injury by, by doing a more of a forest practice. Absolutely. And I, and the, the key to that in my personal experience in my own practice and and going through the training is that it's all to do with the cueing and how you cue the breath when you get into the poses and it's it's done in a very meticulous and considered way in Taurus yoga and I feel that that is the reason why it becomes much easier to avoid not only injury but also just general discomfort because you're really breaking it down to the principles of the movement and so that really helps you to get into the poses in a way that that feels safe really and that feels uh comfortable and even nourishing i just wanted to say that the um the neck release in forest yoga for me was a revelation because what i discovered and my neck resisted for so long to relax. <laughs> and I think that's part of what it, what it wants to do, right? Because that's what it does in our life. You know, we, we hold up so much tension in the neck. When I started to practice it right at the beginning, what I realized was that so many of my other poses, when I, when I used to practice more vinyasas, I was basically holding myself up in the poses using the neck. Yeah. At the expense obviously at the expense of the neck, because then you develop all this tightness, but also you, at the expense of other body parts, especially in my case, my legs, that weren't working. Mm. So I, I started to learn how to engage these other really big muscles that we have in the body, you know, the glutes, the thighs, and use them more efficiently. And then I, you know, over time, it's given my neck a little bit of a break from, yeah. from having to hold myself up in poses. One, one big one for me was um, half moon. Yeah. So I, I mean, I discovered I used to hold half moon with my neck pretty much. Mm. <laughs> that's, that's, actually the, that's the one that I found hardest to let my neck go in because, yeah. was, you know, balancing on one leg and, you know, one hand is, is obviously you're, you're looking around to try and find that kind of drishti and obviously a lot of vinyasa and hatha yoga is about finding your drishti directly in front of you between the, the point between your eyebrows um, and often when teachers say you know close your eyes that's almost the same effect isn't it you know everything starts to wobble as soon as you close your eyes and in that sense that neck release is where that wobble comes without you having to to close your eyes and like you say actually forcing you to engage muscles that help you to balance that aren't coming from just you know your head yeah yeah, absolutely. That was, yeah, that's also been my experience. I wanted to comment a little bit on what you said about the pictures on Instagram mm. and what's Instagrammable, because I've, I've actually been thinking about this this week, looking at uh, Instagram photos of other forest yoga teachers. And I don't necessarily agree that 
uh, forest yoga poses might not look aesthetically pleasing. Mm. What, where I see the difference, actually, and, and this is something I, I, I really admire from, from my fellow forest yoga teachers, is that there's something else that you see in the image. It's almost like you can see spirit in the, in the images. I know this sounds a bit perhaps um, not tangible, right? Um, but there's something else that you can see. And, and, it, and, I, and I, what I feel is that it's the way that, that, that the yogis are holding the poses and the breath that almost lifts them up in the pose. There's, there's a sense of real embodiment of the pose and the entire body's working to put you there with the breath. And so when you look at the images, I feel like there's something else and, that, and there's, there's something a bit more intangible happening, which in forest, you know, we, we like to call spirit. And, and that's pretty cool. That's, that's magic. For me, yeah. that's magic. That does totally make sense, actually, you know, from a very much like a, you know, on first look, people might think, yeah, you know, having your neck to the side isn't as a, you know, an attractive a, a look. But like you say, there is, there is so much more to that. I do agree. I've not thought about it like that previously, that, you know, how those pictures can be lifted through something else. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely that sense of lift. Um, and so I've been meaning to take my own photos to see if I see the same. <laughs> But I'll probably be a bit more critical on my on my you know my I own think images. That, I think that's where my <laughs> comment, I think that's where my comment comes from is that you know when I take when I sort of record my practice or something and I look back at it, it doesn't you know when I look at that aesthetic, it doesn't look as aesthetically pleasing in that time lapse video that I use as you know a nice sort of flowy more traditional flow because you know it, you know perhaps it comes from my own points of inflexibility, but there is something you say about capturing those still moments where what really strikes me sometimes with teachers is just that they, you can see that they're taking pleasure from the pose. Mm -hmm. they're, you know, they're, they're so relaxed in it and that, that neck release, you know, encourages that level of just, well, release, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and deep feeling of what what's going on inside right in your inner world absolutely i see what you mean now about the the videos and the time lapse that that that's true actually i hadn't considered it in that way yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so we're talking about the fact that you're a teacher but when did yoga come into your life was that something that you did when you were in the dominican republic or was it something that you did when you moved across to the uk or wherever you were before that uh, so it was definitely something I started in the UK. I remember I went to one yoga class when I was still doing my undergrad at the University of Warwick. And I didn't really enjoy it. I think at the time I was, I was athletic in the sense that I really liked the rush of adrenaline and the highly cardiovascular exercise. And so for me, it just felt like a nice stretch. <laughs> But then when I came to Oxford, where I currently live, to do my DPhil, I was playing volleyball and I was rowing competitively. And so I decided to start yoga because somebody had said, you know, it was a good stretch, but also the meditation aspect of it would, would really help with stress, with, you know, with natural stresses that you experience when, when you're studying. So I started and I, and I, I started in a really small church hall, uh, just about a two minute walk from where I lived. And that class was a Vinyasa Ashtanga blend, which I had no idea what it was. Um, 
but uh yeah and so i started going there consistently for maybe a year a year and a half once a week so that's kind of how it started for me in 2008 and then the more i got into it the more i started to experience the benefits in other areas of my life mm. so something that has been really significant for me is how i've noticed almost like a brain chemistry change i mean almost like no because we now know through science that actually you know through meditation uh your brain chemistry does and can change and so what i started to notice was that my habitual thought patterns started to change so instead of my mind wanting to go all the time to the worst possible outcome sometimes i would go to the worst possible outcome but then straight away my mind would change that into something more positive or more considered or more awareness and i thought this is pretty cool <laughs> um it also changed my relationship with my environment so i often say that i became a vegan almost in spite of myself you know coming from from the from the caribbean uh i grew up eating meat every day uh sometimes three meals a day and the more i practiced yoga the less i wanted to to um consume the flesh of other animals and it really just happened progressively over three years uh up until the point where i didn't want to have it anymore um so i digress from the question but yes it no, started that's, that's, <laughs> that, that's, so, that's so interesting because i'm also a vegan and like you it would have been, i would be the most unlikely person to be a vegan you know we're a big meat eating family you know that typical like meat and two veg meal that would be put in front of me as a child um, and it wasn't because I was told that yoga people were vegetarian or vegan or anything like that. It's nothing to do with, for me at least, it was nothing to do with being, you know, instructed in a certain way that this is the way that I should live my life. It was these subtle changes that just started to happen, as you say, that brain chemistry alters. And then that, that, that adjusts how you see things, how you deal with things, how you maybe see nature, how you deal with the stresses in your life. It's such a powerful um alteration and like and there's a reason why people say that yoga can be life-changing but also that yoga can be medicine you know this is this, this big push on yoga being medicine um and it sounds like you know perhaps it's been it's been that way for you too i mean what's your job you're an academic am i right are you in academia I'm in academia, but I'm, I don't, I'm not a researcher, let's say. I'm actually in the management side of academia these days, um, alongside being, being a yoga teacher. Mm -hmm. uh, but I absolutely agree. I mean, as you can imagine, one of my favorite books is Anna Forrest's Fierce Medicine. And, and You're the first person to mention that on this podcast. <laughs> I am or I, I'm not? You You're say. not. <laughs> I'm not? Oh, well... That's very good to hear. And, and obviously it would be one of my recommendations if you asked me, you know, what book to recommend to people yeah. because it's fantastic. Uh, but over and over again, you know, I've, 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 I have experienced the practice of yoga being medicine for me, not only for my body, through injuries, um, uh, mentally, you know, when I was talking about the stresses I experienced during my PhD, it's, and sometimes it's, it's just a way to come back to yourself, you know, and, and in that way, that's also medicine um, as, as a way to, to, to connect back to something that's very primal, you know, and very, very deep within us. 
uh, and that's medicine because I also feel like we all have all these parts of ourselves that we're looking to piece back together so that we can be a complete whole um, from things that we've experienced in our childhood and things we continue to experience in our day-to-day -day life, how we face challenges, you know, we're in the middle of a global pandemic, right? Um, and a really big, um, uh, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement. And, uh, and, so, and so yoga is medicine along the way to help tackle all of these different things that, that happen in our lives, outwardly and inwardly. Yeah, it's interesting when you say outwardly and inwardly, because some of that has to come from your own self-inquiry, from kind of deconstructing, you know, that to, to understanding that what lives in your cell tissue lives within your spirit as well. Um, but it's, it's also how that, you know, how that then transcends into the community. Being part of a yoga community is incredibly powerful. And that's how I've particularly found it during COVID times is that, you know, you and I haven't actually met. <laughs> yes, exactly. We're in this community together. We're in this kind of, you know, the forest hoop of people. I'm not in it because I'm not a forest teacher, but it's this sort of, it's this access that we get to each other that it almost feels like it, it could make a huge change in the world. And that's obviously so important in the context that we're in at the moment, as you say, with, with COVID, with people dealing with the stress of COVID and also with people dealing with, um, you know, the, the racism that, that lives in the world is still very much embodied in so many people, especially in, in the UK. Yeah. So. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I was going to say about that connection that we, we established. I think that's definitely been one of the, one of the most incredible or incredibly positive outcomes of this period. Uh, I mean, for one, it's allowed you and I to meet. But for example, and I don't know why I never considered this, you know, I... I'm from a tiny island in the Caribbean and most of my family still live there. I also have some family in the USA. I have family and friends in other parts of Europe. And one of the things that this time has allowed me to do is to finally consider that I could offer yoga to my loved ones and my friends all over the world through the internet. Mm. How now I think about it and I think how, how had I not, even thought of that how um, not here already yeah, yeah. Uh, it's so beautifully with this this theme at the moment that you know yoga is for everybody and how do we let it be for everybody we we let it be something that can be experienced by anyone and you know perhaps that's by having community classes whether it's having you know pay what you can classes and it's as you say that can that can be offered to people worldwide it doesn't need to just be this very sort of white middle-class activity that it's often seen to be absolutely and and it shouldn't be and i think that something that is also a very positive outcome of a very negative situation is that as yoga teachers i very much feel it is our responsibility to put ourselves in that place of questioning you know how how we have been operating up until now and and from this moment on how can we make and how can we continuously make our yoga more accessible to as many people far and wide as possible and i i, I can't claim to have the answers for my own teaching practice yet but but i am thinking very 
carefully about it and I am looking for inspiration, you know, in other teachers and on in other Instagram uh, posts and feeds that I see so that I can very slowly carve what might work for, for me and for what I want to be offering to, to the community, really. Um, what's really interesting that I've been thinking about recently is that so, so you and I, as people who have, you know, had the, the very good fortune and the privilege of having good educations and living uh, very well, you know, within our means and things like that, yoga has come in to be quite a nice supplement to our very nice lives, right? Mm -hmm. One of the things I've been, th and, and, we've, and we've been able to experience the benefits of yoga, that there are benefits that anyone right on the planet can have access to but the the question i have been asking myself is how do you position yoga or how do you offer yoga to those who because of their circumstances yoga is very far away from being their priority right um if there's someone who has to work 12 hour shifts you know, being paid very little wage. Um, reaching those people to say, actually, if you take an hour of your day, 45 minutes of your day or whatever it is, two hours of your day to do these practices, you will also see the benefits. And we know that that's probably true. But how do you access and how do you convince, you know, people for whom their basic necessities are not even being met, right? And and for me, that's a huge question. I don't even know that I'm close to answering it. Um, but what's but I do that question is on your radar, isn't it? You know, you have that awareness through your yoga practice and through being, you know, an intelligent person to, to realize that there needs to be more done in that regard. And it's just trying to work out how that how that manifests itself for, for each of us, you know, whether that's offering free classes whether that's having a podcast that hopefully reaches these people and they hear us talking about it it's 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 a really interesting point yeah and i mean i i do believe that the offering is there i mean i have loads of friends who you know who offer free classes and and in in oxford we had um the charity yoga quota which was operating until very recently and they were they used to offer free classes to um underprivileged um and vulnerable populations and so that was all great. I think, I think there's a, an additional step because I think that the, the people that came to those classes and who were able to take them for free because of these charitable offerings uh, or this, the, and, the, and the volunteering, um, they were already convinced that yoga was a good thing. Right? They, were there. Yeah. they were brought by other charities or organizations uh, that had already you know, brought them together to bring them to those services. But I'm going like a, a, a step further. It's, it's like, how do we reach those who don't yet know that this could be of benefit um, and, that, and, that the, and that there's something that they could also find in yoga that, that, that could help them, you know, on their journey to whatever it is, wellness, success, um, health, financial stability, I don't know, you know, you name it. Um, 
It's a big question. I don't know. It's, it's more of a question that I'm asking and throwing out it out there in the, in the universe and then seeing what comes back, creating space for the answers, as we were saying in a previous conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, it's so, it's, that's so interesting. Just taking that extra step about thinking about how that would actually work. Mm. Um, so let me think. Yesterday, we were talking about the fact that you were, you know, transitioning, you're in a period of transition in your life at the moment. Talk to me more about what that means. Yes. So, as we were saying a little bit yesterday, I, I mean, I've had a bit of a portfolio life <laughs> in general. I, you know, I, I geared myself up to become an academic in the sense that I studied creative writing at university and then I went on to do a, a defil in urban spaces and poetry and more recently I've I've been working within the management side of, of academia uh, I've also ventured I've also done a couple of startups here and there uh, that had to do with urbanism which kind of linked a little bit to my defil but anyway I'm when I found yoga what was very poignant to me was that I could bring everything that I had been dabbling in throughout my life into one thing. Yoga really, I mean, I really felt the yoking of yoga happening to me on the mat one day where I was in tears <laughs> and suddenly realized, you know, I could be the mover, I could be the academic, I could be the spiritual being, I could be all of these things. I could be the teacher because I've always been very passionate about about teaching I could be all of these things in yoga right and and it's taken me a little while to go from what that felt like in my body uh, and through the teaching I started to do and into how I how I transform that into my offering right and so more recently I've been making my way my transition out of academia strictly right at the University of Oxford uh, into into becoming I guess you could call it a full-time yoga teacher um, although that might that might look a little differently for a little while and where I'm going is that is that I'd like to incorporate some of the work that I've done in the past with uh, creative writing into my offering of yoga. Mm -hmm. So teaching and journaling perhaps as a way of helping the body, the mind process. Yeah, that's interesting because, you know, a lot of people do talk about journaling, but I think there's, you know, there's quite a misunderstanding about what that actually entails. So I'd be really interested to hear, you know, how, how would you incorporate journaling into a yoga practice? You know, how, how can those two things work alongside each other? And also kind of just what do you define as journaling? Is it like writing a diary or is it more feeling than that? Right. So there are different ways you can approach it. And, you know, it can be as, well, the beauty of it, I feel, is that it can be as flexible and creative as you want it to be. So it could be as unstructured as, for example, you are doing your practice and you think of something and you either have a pen and paper next to you and you quickly jot something down or you keep it there until the end of the practice and then you spend time 
uh, after the practice, you, you carve out that time. And I think that that's what's really important that, you know, you don't finish your practice, you get off the mat and just go do your next thing, but that you stay there a little longer and then just write down what you've experienced and, and you try to recall the things that have come up during the practice that you'd like to, that you'd like to keep for further uh, thinking and further processing. That's one way to do it. There are other ways to do it in the sense that um, you can follow more structured processes. So one of the, the processes I like to use uh, quite often in my own practice and in my teaching when I do workshops and courses is to design the class around a theme and bring a list of questions around the theme to the class. Mm-hmm. Based on that theme, then I, you know, there, there is a yoga sequence that gets a list of questions with the students or with yourself if you're doing it on your own and just answer the questions for yourself as, as you finish. And usually... What I really like about the questions, the fact that they're more structured, is that they can take you to places that your conscious mind didn't necessarily know mm. about yet. <laughs> and so the structured questions are kind of like a, like, like a really nice prompt when your mind is relaxed, when your body's relaxed, when, when you're in a state of flow, perhaps, what we like to call the state of flow, to just let something that's more in the subconscious come out. So those are just a couple of examples. I mean, I, there are lots of different ways. And I'd, and I'd be really curious to hear, you know, from your listeners or even from yourself, if, if you think that there might be others, because I'm sure, you know, the, op- the opportunities, the options are, are endless, yeah. um, what you could create, really. Yeah, that, um, I mean, and the other thing that we were talking about recently was that you wanted to start maybe bringing read, you know, literature readings into your into your practices as well. I love that. I love it when when teachers just choose a reading that is just, you know, they've created a sequence. You, you've done the sequence, and at the end, you're in shavasana, and they just read you this piece of literature. You know, it might be a meditation piece, and it it just it makes the hairs on the back of your neck stand up because it just hits the spot. And it's such an intelligent marrying up of sequencing the way that that sequence would be embodied, how it would be felt within someone's body. And then to just slide in there with this amazing piece of literature. It's just such an amazing thing to do. So I'd be so excited if you would do more of that. Yes. And I've definitely done it in the past. Mm -hmm. I think for me, the reading at the end of class is, is such a craft, actually. I think because, because as you say, you know, you've had the experiences where somebody, a teacher has read something at the end and it's really resonated and you feel it almost viscerally and that's amazing. But it can also have the opposite effect. If you don't connect to a reading for, for whatever reason, you know, then, then it can take you somewhere it can take you back into your head really and you start questioning and you're like oh why is this happening why is this person reading this now why can't I just stay in shavasana in my own space and so I have brought those into classes before and I definitely will in the future I think I think it's just something that needs to be considered very very carefully 
and the class needs to be organized and sequenced and the queuing, it, it just needs to fit into the entire class theme, I feel, because otherwise it's just, it just becomes a little jarring at the end. Um, yeah. I mean, I, and, I've, and I've had both experiences. I've had experiences where the, the, the reading at the end has just lifted the entire practice and, and gave, given it sense. And times when it just hasn't really resonated and it puts me in a weird place. <laughs> it, it's interesting to say that because obviously we have a responsibility of, as teachers to realize that as we're working through these practice, you know, whether it's an asana practice, whether it's a meditation practice, you are tap, you might be tapping into deeply felt, you know, maybe feelings of trauma, you know, especially when we do lots of work around the hips, around the heart space, you know, I've had, I've had situations where I've been in classes and I've just burst into tears and it has to be a very safe environment. You know, you, you have to nurture that very safe environment as a teacher and respect that, you know, people have, quite strong reactions to your classes sometimes and and to hold that space in a way that is safe mm -hmm. um, so I, I do agree with you that in some regards that you know that that piece of literature might be oh yes that's exactly what I want to hear but then equally it might be something that you know triggers something or it triggers feelings of shame for being like well I don't get that what what is that about you know because mm -hmm. I've definitely had it when teachers have said things like oh you might be feeling this you might be feeling that and me just being like well I'm not I'm not feeling anything you know what does that what does that say about me mm -hmm. um it's it's just a it's a it's a fine balance with being a teacher of of respecting how you you know how you've sequenced the class together how you've brought it all together but also understanding that other people might have completely different reactions to it and also that some people are just there because it's exercise yes absolutely absolutely I mean, the way that I reconcile that in my mind, and, and especially on the, in the practices where I do choose to read something, is that, and, I, and I'll try to say this somewhere in the class as well, usually, is that, you know, you can, you can not only take or leave whatever part of your cueing doesn't fit you, but also reconcile in myself as a teacher that, whatever it is I am offering will take the student to live an experience of the practice and of their body and of themselves that will provide them with some information, whatever that is, whether, whether it feels really positive, whether it feels really negative. I think probably at the end of it all, it is neutral, but it is how we respond to it that that makes the, the difference. And so, I mean, in most cases, I've had good feedback when I've had those types of classes, but obviously I don't know if students would come to me to give me yeah, negative feedback. Like I, <laughs> I don't know if that, that would be the case. Um, but yeah, and, and, so, and so I try to look at, to, to look at it in that way, that, that it's an experience that we offer. It will trigger things. And as Anna Forrest would say, never waste a good trigger. Oh, I love that. That's so great. Yeah, no, I really enjoy that. The other thing I, I noticed about your classes is the way that you use language. It's very invitational. And that kind of comes back to that whole point that we're talking about, about yoga being for everyone, for this being this inclusive thing. It, you know, it's about creating a space where people feel held, but also where they feel that they can, it's their practice, you know, and, and one of the things that you, you really do in your practices, and I've practiced with you for probably, what, about, about a month now, 
is, is you create this, you have this language which is invitational, which I think is so important, again, to avoid that triggering of people, you don't know whether they've had trauma, you don't know what they're dealing with. It's inviting them to feel sensations in certain areas of the body. It's inviting them to try out different options without that kind of shame of this is the harder option, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's so important in that, in that inclusivity that we were talking about. Yes. Well, thank you very much for saying that about <laughs> my classes. I, I think that's definitely something I look to cultivate, but I, but I think that there is like everything else. I think it's a balance because as teachers, I also feel that sometimes we can help or we can support students and guide them to also notice things that maybe they haven't been able to notice before. So for example, in in the forest yoga practice, as you know, abs are a thing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and, And I certainly had... I've had my process with forest yoga abs in that I found them incredibly challenging and and almost impossible at the beginning. And now I love them. I I really do love them. And when Gina, my first teacher in Oxford told me they're, they're wonderful. You're going to love them. I was like, how is that possible? I don't think I'm going to be that person, but it does happen. (laughs) Um, And so for example, one of the things that, because I know that I've had that journey with the abs, one of the things that I, I like to do in my classes is to try and bring in a bit more positive language around the abs and a sense of bring yourself back to feeling what's happening when you experience abs. Because I think that what happens to probably many of us, if not all of us, when we, when we do abs, we have this association in our head, right? That abs link to really hard work in the gym or in PE or wherever that we didn't enjoy doing. And so we have that negative association in our mind. And as soon as you hear the word abs, that's where you go. And and you enter and your body goes into resistance of this, right? And so the, the language that I like to use when I do abs is more about reconnecting to what that really feels like. What does it really feel to feel that, you know, you're, you're, your abdomen, your third chakra is vibrant and it's bright and it's alive. That's actually a really exciting thing. Mm-hmm. It's our mind telling us that it feels painful, really, <laughs> I think. Um, and, so, and so, yeah, so, so to your point, I think with the language is, is very much about balance. Yes, invitational, because by inviting, you're also inviting people and students to hear their bodies intimately, right, deeply to also keep themselves safe, to, to tell them you are the owner of your own practice, right? You're, 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 you are your own guru in that sense. Um, but also invite them to move away from the chatter mm-hmm. that the mind gives so that they can, so that, so that, so that truly the invitation is to le- listen deeply mm-hmm. uh, to what's going on. Yeah. So a bit of balance of both. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you, have you, so you mentioned that you had an interesting relationship with abs. Are there any other points in your yoga practice where you've like maybe failed to connect or you've had injuries? You know, I'm not looking for like negative experiences, you know, in, in that sense, but just is that I think it's interesting for me. I've gone through periods of 
everything being about yoga, me wanting to do yoga every single day, and then almost getting a bit sick of it and being like, right, I want a break now. I want, you know, I want a month off. Um, and it's interesting how you kind of go on that, you know, everyone talks about your yoga journey, but sometimes you have to accept that every journey has bumps in the road. So have you had similar bumps? Absolutely. And <laughs> like you know, I will absolutely there. And we've absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, good, good catch there. Uh, absolutely. And uh, so I had this very curious episode <laughs> once where, so I used to practice, I mean, I, I practice yoga nearly every day now, but back in the day, I was, I mean, now I have my own self-practice. So I, I practice at home. And as you know, we, you know, you and I do practices in the morning that are guided but not led but not really taught right so that i count that as self-practice uh but back in the day i used to go to taught classes every single day of the week sometimes twice a week this was after i became a teacher but i was still kind of newly qualified and there was a period of, of about i was trying to recall this earlier today about two or three months where i really felt like i forgot to do downward dog this is when I still practiced vinyasas. And every time I came to down dog, my body didn't know how to do it anymore. I couldn't place the hands in the right place. I couldn't engage my shoulders in the right way. My feet felt awkward. My hips felt droopy. It just didn't work. <laughs> and, um, and I think, and I still don't know why, it happened and it happened for a really long time. So I had to change, I had to start to, I had to start changing things in the practice. So for example, I went back to using blocks under my hands. It's almost like I, I had to relearn to do down dog. So I started to use blocks under, underneath my hands to do down dog. I started to bend my knees all the time. I had to reteach my body to do down dog. It, it was the most bizarre thing. And the only thing I can think of now to explain the phenomenon is that um, I was going in my personal life, like outside of yoga, I was, I was going through a, quite a significant change in my professional life and also my immigration status in the UK. Mm -hmm. And so I think that the, because my external world was changing so drastically, somehow that was also manifested in, in, manifested in, in my body. And I just happened to notice it in down dog. <laughs> Um, so that was interesting. And another thing I started doing then was I, I started doing more restorative practices and that seemed to get me out of that funk over time. It's the most bizarre thing. That, that, yeah. I mean, I, I do know what you mean. I, after I had a period of, um, of illness, so I came into yoga because I was ill in the first place. And then because I was ill, I kept on getting ill, you know, continually more and more ill. Um, but I was still doing yoga and I had a similar thing where I couldn't go on my hands and knees. I couldn't go onto a tabletop, like my alignment. I just, I couldn't get it. When people would say like, feel your hands underneath your shoulders, your knees underneath your hips and you know, everything shoulder width, hip width apart. I'd be like, I, I don't know those measurements. Everything mm -hmm. feels odd. So I totally get what you mean. And, and for me in that sense, it was having to relearn tabletop, which, you know, as a yoga teacher sounds a bit ridiculous that you yes. can't just, you can't just be on your hands and knees. Yes. Um, and, and yeah, it was, it was my body's response to, to being ill. It was, I don't know if it was just kind of just this position of vulnerability, 
some of the positions that we are in yoga, especially with something like downward dog where your hips are high, they can feel quite, you know, triggering for, for, for feelings of vulnerability and, and being, you know, too exposed. Absolutely. And I'm really glad that you bring up illness because I think that's something very important to consider in relation to yoga practices. And this is another moment for me to mention my dear teacher, Anna Forrest, which is uh, one of the most beautiful things she's taught me is the phrase, and I think I said it yesterday in the class that you were in, is what part of this can you do? So coming to the yoga mat, uh, you know, as, as, a, as a regular practitioner for me is, is a commitment that I make to myself. But part of the commitment is also coming to the mat to recognize that every day is different and that my body feels different every day. You know, sometimes my right hip plays up and my right knee plays up and, it, and, it's, and it's painful. And I, and I have to make a conscious effort to tell myself, what part of this can I do? Can I, can I really do this knee pile or, you know, cow face legs? Or is, is, this, is this really what will nourish my body? And so the yoga practice then, and then that links back to medicine. I think, because in the moment that you recognize that every day is different, then you use the practice as the right medicine for that day. Mm. Um, and, and with illness is particularly important because in illness, your body is working so hard to bring you back to health. Mm. The, the body is an incredible machine. You know, it works better than anything, really. And it, and, it, and it knows how to do its work without you even telling it to do it, right? And so when, you, when you're recovering from illness, your body's working so hard to bring you back to full health. And I, you know, as I mentioned earlier to you, I had COVID and I still practiced. I couldn't practice every day, but I tried to practice maybe every other day. And, you know, some friends and family told me, but why? You should be in bed. And I'm not necessarily saying everybody out there who's ill with COVID should start to do, you know, listen to your own bodies. But, 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 but for me, what worked there was that it, it exposed me to how ill I was. And then it forced me to say, well, actually today, maybe I can only do this and that's okay. And recognizing that that's okay. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's about accepting your body on any given day, isn't it? And that's why I love, sure. I love that Forrest encourages the use of props. You know, props are not a sign of weakness. Like shock, shock, horror people. They're not just for beginners. <laughs> oh, it, I love props. I love, and also just things like, you know, like you say yesterday about, you know, we were in Nepal yesterday. And actually, I think on the second round, I took my other leg straight out on the floor because I was like, I know I can do full knee pile, or as you say, cow face pose for the traditional yogis. Yes. <laughs> I know I can do the full one, but it just didn't feel good yesterday. You know, mm. some days it feels good to sit on blocks. Some days it feels good to like surround myself in pillows. Some days I want padding on my knees. Some days I don't. Like, it's just accepting that your practice, your body, how you're feeling changes every day. Yes. And, and, and it's such... It's also such a beautiful opportunity also. And actually this message, I mean, this answer maybe is even more for teachers, I would say, because I think that what happens when we all become, when we become injured or, or when we're, we're ill, 
is that because we can't do the, the poses as we are taught or as you know, the maximum up level of the pose, um, it gives us the opportunity to become creative as well. And that's really cool. I had a, I had a knee injury where I couldn't really put weight on my, on my leg for a little while. And Anna, Forrest again, Anna taught me to do warriors on the wall lying on my back wow my warriors every day it's just that i was just doing them on my back and then you discover that by doing that you're not working the muscles in the same way but hey you're working other parts of the body my lower back relax mm. you know my shoulders relax because i was on the floor i had support mm. and so yeah and so it can become such an opportunity for for creativity and doing things differently. I've, I've had to also, because we're teaching a lot online, I've had to also think creatively for people who don't have props, for example. And so yesterday when we were doing bridge over a block, I was playing around in the house earlier, earlier on, how can I offer bridge over a block for people that don't have blocks? And I'm not a huge fan of using books underneath your sacrum because they're, you know, they can be a bit jammy yeah. and they can wobble. And so then it becomes really unstable. So then, you know, bridge on the wall, right? Why not? We all have walls in the house. <laughs> so yeah, so for me, it's an opportunity for, for creativity overall. And, and that's really exciting about yoga practice. Really exciting and about teaching. That's the great thing about being a teacher, isn't it? Is that you're still a student, you're still learning, you're still, Always. still, you're still having these opportunities, like you say, to just find totally different ways of doing things. Yes. Love it. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for being part of this podcast. Let me ask you two final questions. I have a feeling I know the answer to these two. Ooh. A book that you would recommend <laughs> um, for anyone listening. So something that's maybe yoga or non-yoga related, but not like a fiction book. So I already gave that answer. So I'm, so I'm going to give a different one because yes. people already heard the, the, the fierce, fierce medicine one. Um, I would recommend, especially during these times of global pandemic and a lot of uncertainty socially in general, Tara Brach's accept uh, Radical Acceptance. So I'll say that again. Radical Acceptance by Tara Brach. I read it when I was uh, ill a couple months ago, and it truly held me by the hand. Uh, to help. It guided me through the fear of illness. Um, through the fear of change and and it's truly a gem I mean she's wonderful Tara Brach so that would be my recommendation oh fabulous I can't wait to download that one or read it you know get it off Amazon sometimes, <laughs> I think sometimes as a, as a mum of a six-month-old you, you do love a little audible book <laughs> oh I I'm I mean I consume literature in all ways Audible, Kindle, physical, all every way possible because I like to change it up as well. There are books that don't lend themselves very well to being heard, yes, or or or, or on Kindle, and so then I get those in print. Sometimes I, I do, so I do I did Anna Forrest book Audible and reading at the same time. Me too, <laughs> <laughs> because she reads it to you. And then if you read with her, it's like, oh my God, this is, this is sinking into my body so much more. But hearing her say it, I mean, she's just got such a fantastic, you know, un understandably a fantastic narration voice. So it, oddly, some authors who try to narrate their own books, 
you know, I will say, don't do a great job of it. <laughs> yes, yes. But she's, she's a great narrator. She's a great, great narrator. And, and when I, I read it first and then listened to it, and when I listened to it, I picked things up that I hadn't picked up when I read it. Because they were said by her and her tone, you know, it, yes. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> and then any yogi that you could practice with anywhere in the world, living, past? Oh, I didn't realize it included past. Ooh. <laughs> um, well, I love this question because I almost feel like in the times we're living, if the yogis are living with uh, virtual classes, we can probably have classes with those people. So I would love to practice with Jambo. I haven't actually practiced with him yet, with Jambo Dragon. And because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little bit immersed in the forest yoga world, then I would say I'd really like to practice, apart from Jambo, who's a, who's a, um, a forest yoga guardian, also with Erica Mather. <gasps> Fantastic. Yeah, and with Kat Allen. Mm. So Erica, uh, Erica and Jambo are two people that I've practiced with because of lockdown. And yeah. That, yeah, just it, that's the beauty of Zoom, isn't it? Being able to experience their amazing teaching via yes. the virtual world in New York and in um, Indonesia. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yes. So I, th those are ones that I kind of I plan to do during this time for sure. Um, and then I have other ones. I mean, I used to I used to practice a lot of laughing lotus yoga and I still really enjoy it. Uh, so I would love to practice with Deborah Langley, for example. And from the Jiva Mukti world, uh, Yogeshwari, I think I was ah. at some point as well. Oh. So I went more for the living. That's fine. No, it's just, there are people who people like to practice with that obviously, cause it's, you know, yoga's pretty old. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. I mean, if I could be, if I could be, you know, in one of Patabi Joyce's classes, I would just, just to try it, just to see what it's like, obviously without the controversy around it. But yeah. um, just to, exp I mean, any of the, you know, of the, the, um, the, guru, yeah, the, guru. oh, the, the gurus, right? The, 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 whatever you call it, first generation of mm -hmm. teachers who brought it to the West, right? Um, I would, I would try, I think. Um, I wouldn't try Bikram. I was going to say, I think that's the one person I probably wouldn't try either. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I, I would try Ayengar as well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, um, Bikram, no, I mean, he's still alive, so it doesn't count. Yeah. yeah, and also for anyone listening that hasn't watched the Bikram documentary on Netflix, that's another one that's a really interesting one to watch. It is very interesting, yeah. And there's a podcast, I think 30 for 30 have one on Bikram as well, so. Oh, I haven't seen that one. Have a listen, it's a good one. It's kind of, okay. it's kind of the, I think it's the, what prompted the Netflix documentary. Ah, I see, okay. Yeah, no, I haven't seen that one. Um, I did train in hot power yoga, not hot, not Bikram yoga, um, but I don't really practice it anymore. I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed it, um, but I think, yeah, it wasn't for me in the end. <laughs> I, I'm someone who likes to open with the heat of the room as it is, as opposed to, you know, I felt, I feel like when I've done hot, it's often, it's made me feel like my muscles are warmer than they are. That's mm, how yeah. I've experienced hot yoga. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, you don't have to say this bit in the, in the podcast about hot yoga, but um, the reason why I actually stopped is because I had, so I always felt really strange after practicing hot yoga, like my muscles felt good and I had a good stretch, but I found it 
personally, I found it a little bit um, anxiety inducing. Mm. And later on, when I, when I went to Bali for the first time before, before the time before forest yoga, I did like an Ayurvedic consultation. Mm-hmm. And I was told that my, that my dosha constitution is um, vata first and then pitta. And pitta is the element that has fire in it. And so I understood then that because I have this element of pitta, which, which is already kind of an innate fire, yeah. to put more fire in my body is actually not good because it, it puts me more out of balance. And I think that with that piece of information, I understood that probably... Yeah, that probably hot. That's it. gave me It gave me an explanation for why hot yoga didn't feel quite right in my body. Mm. I have friends who obviously, you know, it's the only yoga they practice and it's fantastic for them and it really works. Um, yeah, for me, it just had this element that just wasn't quite right. Mm. Yeah, wow. It sounds, it sounds like you've come to much more of a solid conclusion than me just thinking, I'm not too, I'm not, I'm not a fan of the heat. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I come from the Caribbean, so I love the heat. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I love, I mean, I love being warm and the sweatiness and all that. I, I really enjoy it, but it was some, it just took me, it just, it was just weird. I just felt a bit anxious. Really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Must be like the Irish in me that I like it like raining and cold. <laughs> Oh, it's so lovely to speak to you. Thank you, you so much for your time. Well, thank you very much. I'll see, see you very on. soon. See you on Tuesday. Yes. Bye. Bye. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the chat. Subscribe now to hear more from the inspirational yoga teachers that are appearing on this first series of Me and My Yoga. We release a new episode fortnightly, so you don't have to wait too long for our next dosage of all things yoga. You can check out more about my story and this podcast on my website, yogaharriet.com and my Instagram, yoga.harriet. This podcast is brought to you in association with the mental health charity, Milestone. Milestone is a charity which uses the power of sport to normalize the conversation around mental health, to remove stigmas that still exist in today's society and to act as a catalyst to engage with and tackle whatever it is that people are facing in the knowledge that they are not alone. You can find out more about Milestone at teammilestone.co.uk or following them on Instagram at milestone.uk or Twitter at milestone underscore UK. Thanks for listening.